0: Now that you have brought that up, I think this is the last point to raise and, and a good place to end it, which is what was Frank Herbert actually trying to do Ooh, when he yeah. wrote
1: this novel? Uh, now we're going to into the spicy, yes. we're gonna do the spicy uh, section of this uh, podcast.
0: So, bang! How's that for a tease? What's up, Kenfolk? It's RJ Young. I am not on a step mill. Thank you for subscribing to the RJ Young Show podcast. I know it has been a while, months. We talked about Loki last and it feels like that was, you know, six months ago because it almost actually was. But we back at it again on this unsponsored. Nobody pays me to do this podcast where I talk with my friends about stuff. It's really what it's about. It's about stuff. It's whatever we are into, whatever I'm into, quite honestly, because many of these conversations, like I'm sure conversations that you have with your friends, we feel like we should record. We should have taped because other people would enjoy listening to them because we are such narcissists quite honestly, to think that we can entertain the masses in such a way. And every now and again, there's a podcast that pops off where you're like, man, I could do that. For instance, my buddy Tyler, who I talk with today about how the Matrix film franchise is doomed to fan fiction, is a huge, massive Behind the Bastards podcast fan. I only know white guys that like that show, um, but I listen to some of it. And, you know, it's good. I also was thinking, man, I do this with my friends all the time, whether it be about Denmark Vesey, who you'll hear a little bit about in the podcast, or perhaps about Dune, like you'll hear almost for two hours in this podcast, or the Black Panther Party, or whatever I'm reading, like the Office of Historical Corrections by Daniel Evans, which is an amazing novella. It's like 100 pages, and there are other stories in there. We'll talk to my buddy Ron, I hope, in a little while about The harder They Fall, which reminds me, for the people that are listening and publishing right now, I wrote a novella, a, a Western, a black Western novel called Confederates that also features Bass Reeves, like The Harder They Fall features Bass Reeves. I would love to sell it to you, and I would sell it to you on the cheap because I really would like to see it printed. But it's, it's actually good, right, on top of all of this. So hit me up. Have your people. Call my people because I swear to you. It is better constructed and even more hilarious and fun than Dune is. But Dune succeeds because we all enjoy the premise. We enjoy the premise of sci-fi. We enjoy the premise of fantasy. But you should also know that Dune, the novel, is actually three novels in one. And it meanders and it goes. But then there's Denis Villeneuve, who is absolutely amazing with his adaptation. Because he succeeds in making the only adaptation of a book that I actually love. Really absolutely love what he did. He took all of the whimsy out of the novel and treated the story with sincerity and severity and I love every bit of it I'm going to get into that a bit with Tyler one of the reasons I want to talk with Tyler about this is because we both have read all 200,000 plus words of Dune and we've watched every single Dune movie matter of fact I'm probably that one black dude that you know that actually likes Dune I don't know any other black folks that like Dune and I wrote an essay called black people don't need to read Dune where I lay out why that is maybe one day you'll read it pretty good, it's hefty, it's about 6,000 words, I'm very proud of it, basically walking through some of the really interesting parts of how Dune was created, where Frank Herbert was in his mind, which we'll talk about here in a little show, and that's, you know, kind of what the tease is about, but also, why I think it's a slave narrative, because speculative fiction owes so much to slave narratives, to black people, to the diaspora, you know, from the West Indies, from Africa from the only successful slave revolt to overthrow an entire country. And I'm talking about Toussaint, Le Overture, and the Haitian Revolution. But I digress. I know that you're here to hear about how we are going to tell you how the Matrix film, fan, uh, film franchise owes so much to Dune. And I'm going to give that to you. Oh, and before I do, yo, look. Please pass the podcast along to your friends. Leave a five-star review because, you know, It's got like 295 right now. I don't even know how that happened. This podcast has become so many other things. It's almost like a running journal at this point as opposed to like a show. And that's one of the reasons that I keep doing it off and on and do it sporadically. But since you're here, leave a five-star review. Please let me know that you like the podcast or, you know, share with an enemy. I don't really care. Again, I do this because it's fun. I do this because I like y'all and I like talking to my friends. And I think my friends are brilliant. And I want to give them as much of an opportunity to... Well, talk about the things that I know they're smart about and do we not love hearing people talk about things that they're good at? And all of my friends are superheroes and I choose to share them with you. Yes, TikTok is going to ruin everything.
1: Uh, like, yes, absolutely
0: Just everything is going to be ruined
1: We thought it was going to be Twitter But it turns out it was TikTok
0: yeah, Well uh, Seeing as you can share TikToks to Twitter Now
1: <laughs> that's, and, that's, and that's how TikTok Will be the one to ruin it uh, It uses everybody else for its uh, But as ammunition. a
0: form of short form comedy I don't know that I've ever seen Such absolute Amazing stuff glorious to behold
1: and has to be on tiktok
0: it has to be like i don't know i think i yes i do know why it's tiktok and we could go into the technical reasons as to why but are we better as a society for being able to experience this glorious humor this tragic comedy or is it just you know delaying the inevitable anyway because the singularity is fast approaching
1: I think anything that uh, lowers our attention span on a global scale is not worth – that's a price not worth it, Mm -hmm. which is also the exact opposite direction that we seem to be going.
0: No, no. Hey, no, that's a nice – see, this is what I do as a host. I segue into, hey, it takes an enormous amount of time to watch, let alone read, Dune. See, see what does. I did there?
1: See what I did there? I see what you did It's yeah. very good. Very good segue. Thank I love you. it.
0: Thank you. Uh, this is my buddy, Tyler Burrows. I hit the record button while we were talking. Um, I want to talk with Tyler about Dune because I have thoughts, feelings about Dune, and I want to talk with somebody else who had the, I don't know, time necessary, um, commitment necessary, just resolve to read this Two hundred thousand page or two hundred thousand word novel, and have consumed at least uh, Denny Villeneuve's Dune. But you and I have also consumed every single Dune adaptation that there's ever been, and I have these thoughts and opinions about it, and you have these thoughts and opinions about it. But I kind of wanted to start with this one thing that was, I think, on both of our brains, which is it. It's it. There are a lot of sci-fi movies and books that we love that owe a lot to this novel in particular. A lot. But I asked you straight up, is the Matrix film franchise Dune fan fiction? And you said they would have a very hard time defending themselves, (laughs) the Wachowskis.
1: They they would. uh, The Wachowskis would have a really hard time defending themselves in court uh, if they were accused and it was a crime of making a dune fan fiction uh real hard time uh doing it now it's it's definitely uh enough uh, different enough to not be accused of copying somebody's homework they made it just different enough but yeah being accused of uh making a dune fan fiction it'd be real hard uh to defend themselves with it
0: yeah so Do you want to start with... i tell you what. Let's do that. You start with a comparison and then I will follow with a comparison until we run out of material and or pivot to something else entirely like TikTok.
1: Okay. Uh, I would like to go with the setting first off. So this would have to be... The Matrix would have to be be pre-Butlerian Jihad because the, the machines are still on top, right? And however... It seems to be the say like history repeating itself. The Butlerian Jihad eventually happens sa- the same way the Matrix people are saved for this go around. And I'm I'm reading the Matrix uh, correctly, right? This is this just this cycle. Like every cycle is the different, but also is different, but also the same, right? Yes. So the the last cycle ends up being the Butlerian Jihad. Uh, so you know, just history. History is cyclical; it repeats itself. And uh, finally, the Butlerian Jihad uh, breaks orbit. But this is a story somewhere in the middle of it that also mimics the greater uh, the greater arc.
0: Yeah, I think before the idea of the Butlerian Jihad was uh, really stretched out to just try to find out what Frank was thinking about there. If I were to go into the Wachowski's brains, it's like, oh, this part at the front of the novel where everything actually goes to hell, I would love to be able to explore just what that looks like. And that is why we're calling it fan fiction, right? It comes out of some other, but it's not fan fiction in the strict sense in that you're taking the same characters and making a different sort of uh, story altogether based on what you would like to see happen to those characters as opposed to what the original author of that uh had done so like for instance for those of y'all that just don't get with fan fiction and i understand why you don't it's it's as dense as anime <laughs> it's it's like if instead of harry potter becoming the dude that you know makes everything okay he turns into voldemort and then what does that look like right um and i think that's interesting but to tyler's point about the butlerian jihad um i wrote an essay it's a long essay about how black people don't really need to read Dune and maybe one day you'll read it, maybe one day you won't. But I'm gonna basically uh you're wrong about this for just a second, uh Tyler. And by, by you're wrong about this, <gasps> I, don't, uh, I don't mean that. I mean I mean the podcast. You're wrong about that's that's what right, I mean. Right. Okay, all right, my bad. Like, I, How dare you? Right? Exactly. Um Okay, so the name Butlerian is likely an allusion to Samuel Butler's eighteen seventy two novel which I can't pronounce, but is spelled E-R-E-W-H-O-N. You want to give that a shot,
1: Tyler? Uh, Errol one
0: arrow Well, let's, let's go with that. I like the sound of that. That is not how it it goes in my head. <laughs> one in which features a people who destroyed machines because they feared they might one day be killed by fast-evolving machines. Now, Herbert's son, Frank Herbert, that is, who wrote Dune, and the guy who writes the TV spinoffs collaborated on their Butlerian Jihad, but... Neither one is Frank, and I don't care to read nor heed a damned word of their fanfic any more than I want to read yours. Though, uh-huh. Frank might have, right? Because when I found the Encyclopedia of Dune, which absolutely exists and is called exactly that, I was incredulous until I learned that Frank wrote the goddamn forward. To this Encyclopedia of Dune, yeah, just it's a like, few years this before. It's like collection
1: of hypotheticals and fan fiction, and people just uh, making shit up,
0: right? And it was- g- it gets better for me though, because he writes this, and this is this really perturbed me. As the first Dune fan, I give this Encyclopedia my delighted approval, <laughs> although I hold my own counsel on some of the issues still to be explored as the Chronicles unfold. Way to clear that up, Frank. Way to clear that right up.
1: Thanks. Thanks for making that crystal clear uh, on which things that you want to hold your own counsel on.
0: I (laughs) got to dunk on Frank right quick, just as I dunk on most writers when I say this, so please allow me. Not only did he not clear that up, I can only assume Frank, like so many of us writers who metaphorically step into the middle of traffic pull down our pants and say, look at me, was flattered that someone might stare. Like, I just, he's like, oh, you wrote fan fiction? No, I don't, I don't, I don't agree with it, but I love it. Like, what? No. Uh, so I wanted to walk out that Butlerian Jihad but, bit, but like the, the, yeah. the setting and the premise, I think you're right because the thing that I found to be most supportive of this particular connection is that later in the novel because I'm'm I'm, I'm me so I reread the novel last week. Um, all of it. I'm not proud of it, but it is a thing that I did.
1: <laughs> and this is gonna be a fun uh, dichotomy because I haven't read it in at least 10 years.
0: Oh really
1: uh, so it will be uh, it will be you'll have it fresh and then I'll have my vague recollections but also a lot of Wikipedia reading on all of the other words that were written about Dune.
0: Oh yeah, no, like, and and I took notes, right? Because I'm I'm me, and then I write the essay, so I know what I think. But there's a there's a note at the end of the of the end of the novel when uh, a couple of the guild dudes are just trying to maintain some sense of power structure so that the spice doesn't go anywhere. And at this point in the novel, uh, spoilers for anybody that hasn't read it or doesn't know how Dune ends. Your man Paul Atreides looks at them dead in the eye and says, "I will blow all the spice up if you do not shut up right now." And they look—they look at him, and they ask him straight up, "Are you mad? Like, like, like? Are you are you crazy? It will—you will destroy the entire universe." It's like, no, actually, uh, I'll destroy Arrakis, but I will also destroy your main, t- uh, your main means of making money and. This thing that you are hooked on like heroin, Spice, which powers uh, intergalactic space travel, and they are the only people that can do it. But in doing so, you basically are saying that the planets in this intergalactic imperium are no longer connected, right? So in the Butlerian Jihad, or before it, I should say before the Butlerian Jihad, Earth, as we know it, is isolated, right, in the Matrix, Coming after this, when they discover Spice on Arrakis, somehow they get there. I don't know how. That's the part that I really want to see laid out Real here. slow. Right. Just, I, <laughs> just, no, like that's – is that not a little bit frustrating in that nobody has actually come up with the ways in which you get to Arrakis or where Arrakis is in relation to Earth?
1: That is not a generational colony ship. No, like, it's – fired out, fired out into the ether uh, for – and then like – I don't think there's enough millennia that passed by in the entire um, it's in four. the entire timeline to really be able to fit that in there, but it's also one of the things like, well, it needs to have happened.
0: It's four thousand no, excuse me, it is eight thousand years from today. So the, the story picks up with Paul Atreides at fifteen years old in ten one nine one. That's the year. Ten thousand one hundred and twenty-one. Just a real go-getter
1: teenager, that guy.
0: Oh man, you know, you know what you can do when you are born in as a highborn, and you know you're the only son of a duke, and then you're endowed with these ridiculously overwrought selective breeding eugenic powers. You can do a lot at fifteen, honestly. You know. By the way, a thing that does not get like talked about enough in Dune, and I want to see how Denny Villanu does this in part two. There's a good four years that goes by from the beginning of this journey to where Dune ends. So you got to age Timothy Chalamet, or you got to act as if that doesn't matter.
1: And it's going to be difficult because uh, I don't—I have no idea how old old he actually is. But he could be a fourteen-year-old, just about to go into high school, mm. and he might keep that face for way too long. <laughs>
0: Timothy Chalamet is twenty-five years old.
1: Okay. <laughs> All right. Yeah. No, that's going to be a problem. Also. Also. <laughs> he's not, not going to lose that face for very. He's not going to lose that face for a while. We
0: we totally we totally missed the whole like Messiah, uh, like overlap in Unreal Ways by two days because he's born on December twenty seventh. <laughs> like it, it was. Pauline, change all you had to do was... I
1: yeah, pa- had to change that homework just a little bit.
0: I was just going to say, Pauline, either that or, or yeah, have her be like, yo, we're just going to induce this because he's going to do this movie called Dune in 25 years. Or I guess 23 years.
1: We cannot have this be, be, be here.
0: He's going to play a literal messiah, but the bad kind, yeah. because they're all the bad kind. They're literally they're all, all the, the bad kind. Bad. <laughs> <laughs> no, I like that because, uh, you know, that's where I was gonna go. I was gonna go right off the top rope with my comparison being neo, it's Paul atreides, endowed with these superhuman powers that you could only use in the way that he is using them to lead a people, which you know we'll get into a little bit later. um, but also powers you don't want, you're also oh, yeah, not you're not enthusiastic about being the dude. At the, at the jump, which I, I very much enjoy. But there's so much that from that particular instance that I think is – or that particular comparison that we can just pull apart and pull apart and pull apart. But the part that I want to focus on is that Messiah bit of it and the part where the Matrix is going to produce an anomaly. That's what it does.
1: It's guaranteed. What right. it is It is going to happen.
0: Right. And then it's about how – does the matrix and uh the machines within it and the humans within it experience that anomaly and that is the variable right in dune we know that this dude is going to come because the Bene Gesserit is willing it forth by selectively breeding
1: (laughs) they've tried real hard for a real long time to make sure this happens uh was it countless time countless resources countless
0: bodies uh, uh, to make this actually, happen, we got we got We got a number though. We got a number again because RJ is uh, I don't know something's wrong with him. He does stuff <laughs> like read it so that he can find out. Oh, it's counted It's counted bodies and counted time now uh, we have we have 90 generations
1: Okay, so generationally it's that, and then uh, whoever else they had to kill to make sure that they stayed on top. Well, so see, that 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 that's, plans
0: could happen. that's the part that I hope that this spinoff that's coming out of Dune on HBO investigates, which is called, I kid you not, The Sisterhood, which is about, <sighs> it's about the Bene Gesserit. But the thing that I really enjoyed about that is, yeah, this was always going to happen. But because Jessica went rogue, and apparently – Willed a son into existence, mm-hmm. <laughs> like that. That's the part that nobody actually wants to like. Parse is Leto wanted a boy because Leto needs a boy to keep you know his place in the Imperium because the patriarchy, even eight thousand years from now, is very much alive. Yep, not and well. a solved.
1: Yep, not a solved. Uh, not a solved issue.
0: Also in there, Jessica. Again, spoilers for anybody that didn't read the novel or doesn't know how Dune goes is the. Bastardess, a, a word that Frank used. <laughs>
1: like, well, I guess that technically convey. I guess that technically conveys the meaning. Right. But sure, let's do this.
0: Uh, bastardess of Baron Vladimir Harkonnen, which means she, she's ducal, she's royalty. Yeah. If 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 only he would be like, not nah, forget all of this. My daughter is going to run stuff now. And then see what happens there because there there's there's another – there's fanfic here of, of <laughs> Vladimir Harkonnen not being such a bad dude, right? Yeah, a tr- some traditional uh,
1: fanfiction. Right. Like the story that was told and taking it off a different fork.
0: Right. So there's that. But instead, she is quite literally concubine, a kept yeah, woman.
1: It's the terms right there. It is – it's on the page defined. She is a concubine.
0: And her express purpose – her only purpose in life was to give Leto Atreides a boy. Okay. We could spend some time on that. But I like getting to the part where she knows she's supposed to have a girl because the Bene Gesserit told her, your job as a Bene Gesserit is to have a girl.
1: Now Your job is to not do your job. Right. But almost get there.
0: But that girl was supposed to marry and have babies with Fade Ratha Harkonnen. Again, for the people that haven't uh, read Ooh. the novel, Fade is Baron Vladimir Harkonnen's favorite nephew. And uh, we're first introduced to him in the novel, having killed his 100th slave in combat on Giddy Prime. It's
1: a real hard path for that next generation.
0: Oh, but but And then from there, you're supposed to get what the Bene Gesserit call the quits at Haderach, or Haderach. Let me say that again. Quitsats Haderach. I like the way that Charlotte Rampling says it in the movie Best. She's, she's nailing these pronunciations, by the way. Like, I had been saying Gom Jabbar for like, I don't know, 15 years, mm-hmm, however long, mm-hmm. and she just nails it. Like, she's Gom Jabbar. And I'm like, whatever! I love you <laughs> as Reverend Mother Helen... Yeah. Oh, no, excuse me. Gaius Helen Moyam see again it's it's right there it's right there i've done I've done the reading to be uh, ready for today same. yeah not, that, not not just the old lady <laughs> right right not just the old lady not just the old lady who says and by the way if you haven't read the novel and and you have no sense of what they're doing when my favorite scene of all the scenes which is her holding that needle to his throat and him seeing the fire and him rising up in fury uh, how how dare you when she says <laughs> <laughs> goodbye young human <laughs> I hope mm-hmm. you live I was dying I was like I d- Denny Villeneuve 100% gave this this stupid story which is told whimsically and stupidly severity and sincerity and I could not love him more for that like he chose to try to do this straight up and give it gravitas and my god I did not know that I wanted this.
1: Yeah, real. She's real severe, extremely intimidating. Uh, in the in the in this in this uh, version of her.
0: Well, and that's <clears throat> mostly everybody. So, like, the, getting back to Lady Jessica, right? Who wills this child into being? I'm also looking at her, going, "Oh, so you just you wanted to be the mama of the Messiah? That's what you wanted." And I wanted to see them like ruthlessly carry that out because you see aspects of that throughout the novel that she's, uh, you know, becoming Fremen and so forth. Um, but I also like that all the while Paul's like, you mess with my mama, I'm gonna kill you. Like, yeah, that part is universal for everybody. Don't be talking about my mama.
1: <laughs> like, yep, don't don't mess with my mama. Uh, bad things will happen.
0: And I wanted to know, who is that for Neo?
1: Oh man. Um I mean, I think it gets folded in eventually. We we, can, we have the second movie for that. Like that kind of gets folded into Trinity. Okay. Uh in my opinion because he did th- he did something he wasn't supposed to. Uh in order to like he he said, you know, screw all these plans, but like I I think there's not a good analog there and gets folded in uh for it. Uh, for the for the, the the thing, the plans that he will ruin in order to make sure that nobody messes with blank. And that I, I would put I would put Trinity in that uh, f- for that one.
0: I'm inclined to agree with you, um, mostly because I think that one of the flaws of this fat, overwrought novel is that he spread the objectives too thin like make baron vladimir harkonnen the emperor right or or vice versa make lady jessica and Chani some version of the same person you you are giving all of these responsibilities to a lot of different people like there's a there's even a count t- toward the end who has a pivotal role to play who like fade Rotha? we only see like twice by the way fade succeeds at being insufferable right but he succeeds at being insufferable not because he's particularly violent or mean but because he does not shut up
1: he does not that's true
0: i i i can't tell you how pissed i was in my second reading of this novel to to really realize he shows up i kid you not tyler twice oh he
1: shows he mentioned up mentioned the first one already, right? right?
0: Right, right. And the second one is when Paul brings everybody into his ducal chambers, right? The emperor, the whole group of people that came with him apparently to watch the demise of Arrakis and see him on display. The great houses, the baron, all of it. Um, well, the, not the baron. We'll get to him in a second because the baron's dead. But Fade is there and Fade wants to fight him. He wants to fight him for the fate of the universe, and Lady Jessica is all like, "Yo, Paul, you running this? You ain't got to do this, like." Wait, wait, wait. Oh, there's no, there's no dual pistols at dawn. Yes. For the,
1: the ruler of the universe.
0: Right. And he's like, "No, nah, I actually want to fight him." And she's like, "But if you lose, because he had seen a vision of, which, of him having lost or could lose, then what?" And he's like, "Well." Uh, good luck with uh, the Imperium then, Mom. <laughs> so it's just, just horrible. It's horrible. So they fight, right? But like as they're fighting, Faye's doing all the talking. And I got like seven new tattoos I got to get, but this one might be one of them. The only thing that my man, Paul, says at the start of the fight, at the end of the fight, is, May thy knife chip and shatter which is still i mean it's said in the movie and i like it when it's said in the movie but i like seeing it everywhere like cuz that's a Fremen thing cuz the chris knife yeah. is thing but like is that just not one of the coldest lines it's a
1: good it's a real it's a good line it, it, as far as smack talking goes uh you get just enough respect to acknowledge that your opponent is also somebody who's going to try to stab you to death <laughs> Uh, but at the same time, uh, you hope their blade's trash and they uh, are uh, and they are not as good as you. But and say that because everybody hopes that their opponent's not as good as they are because they want to win, uh, especially in a knife fight uh, where nobody yeah, it's wins. just Like I acknowledge who you are and may you have worse luck than me.
0: <laughs> Golly, no, like Dang. you know, I, I've I've given I've given to saying that in email clapbacks. Like I'll write that down. And I guess that's, <laughs> and, that's you know on on the tweets, on the Instagrams, in emails. May thy knife chip and shatter. Or if I know that my team is playing a friend of mine's team, I will send that as a text message. That's 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 how we're doing this. <laughs> May thy knife chip and shatter.
1: But like we are yeah. now adversarial. But I I acknowledge you as my adversary.
0: And since we have spent even more time on Faye than I thought we would, I should add he's Agent Smith in the Matrix.
1: In fact. Uh, I'm glad we got to that part. Uh, I would actually like to say that he's a, that Agent Smith is a better fade. I would agree. Um, because was, you mentioned it. He, he showed up twice, but was supposed to story, generally story-wise. And it's not just a matter of like, we're reading into him being the foil for Paul. I think it's actually just there on the page. Mm-hmm. But he's a terrible foil for Paul. Yes. Uh, because... Well, one like there's no threat, but also we see him twice. Like we don't get to know him, other than like much on a surface level. Like Agent Smith was, you know, negative was you know negative Paul, uh, negative, negative Neo. Like he was uh, opposite and equal. Um, yeah, but absolutely, uh, a- absolutely, a f- fade is Agent Smith. That uh, fulfills the same role, in you know, better, but also, like, is the same thing as far as that's concerned.
0: Yes, 100%. Uh, and that's a thing that they actually say out loud, which I appreciate in the movies, which is, as Neo grows in power, Smith grows in power because he has to. Like it, mm-hmm. We have to have balance. Like, we, we got to have some accidental Thanos over here. Um, even, right. <laughs> surprise Thanos.
1: Even if the— um, love it the surprise, the surprise Thanos.
0: Even if the— um. Even if the machines are not buying into the Thomas Malthusian model. See what I did there? Or no? No?
1: Nope, I don't. Okay.
0: So uh, 17th century, Thomas Malthus said that the world was being overpopulated and that the way to do something about that was to get rid of half of them.
1: Oh, is this Malthusian economics? There you go. I've heard the term, and the okay, it's the get rid of pe- get rid of people because right. people uh, consume resources.
0: Got but it. but they also did this other thing where they were like, hey, make poor people not poor. Then, like and
1: that, and that, oh, that can't have that part. Right, whoa, right, whoa, 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 whoa! Right,
0: that that part gets conveniently missed um, because every time when it comes to resources, now we just got to kill people. That's just that's just what we got to do. As a matter of fact, um, I'm playing with this idea, even in this essay that y'all may or may not read. Where I can, if I squint, Tyler, if I squint because I'm me, I can see Denmark Vesey in Paul Atreides. Um, I mean this sincerely. Do you know who Denmark Vesey is? No, I don't. Okay. Denmark Vesey was going to lead the largest slave rebellion in history in the United States. In 1822, he had devised a plot that involved 9,000 slaves in Charleston, to not just overthrow Charleston and sack it, but to kill all the white people in it, to commandeer ships, and to sail to Haiti. With the Bank of the United States' as gold at Charleston in tow. Okay. Uh, and he thought going, of was Going
1: for the big push, like the total...
0: Right. Yeah. He's a, he's a remarkable dude. Um, like, he was born a slave, was a slave for 17 years. Quite honestly, hit the lottery, bought his freedom from his master, who apparently was not an evil master, but was still a slave master, um, mm-hmm. and then worked free from about 1800 till 1822 and about 50, 60 years old, decided, nah, enough of these white folks. En- en- enough of this slavery stuff. And there was there was a, there were all the principles in place, kind of like Atreides, uh, for this to happen in that you underestimate just how valuable it is to have more people than they do. So like, one of the things in, in the Denny Villeneuve movie that they outlined is that there are more Fremen than the Harkonnens thought. They thought there were 50,000. There are millions. In yeah, way more.
1: Like an yes, absurd amount more. An
0: absurd amount more. In 1822 in Charleston, South Carolina, or I should say the 1820 census, you have about 19,000 white folks. Right? It's not bad. You have 57,000 slaves. So you had all of these principles there and then you had a charismatic leader who many people thought was a prophet who many people thought was a messiah who could speak four languages who could read and write who could think uh like a strategist and who could rally troops spiritually and uh practically i mean they had battalions dude like they th- this column is going to attack this place this column is going attack this place this person is going to assassinate the governor like they had all that in place so, no like, mob.
1: No, not an angry mob no, uh, uprising.
0: No, this is like two years of straight up planning. Um, and he even had a sorcerer on his team, dude named Gullah Jack. And, and Gullah Jack was thought to be like uh, a shaman of sorts. If he told you that you weren't gonna die today, you weren't gonna die today. And he told a lot of people that they weren't gonna die on July 14th, 1822, when they had planned to do this, but they were sold out by uh, a mulatto house servant named Peter Priole. And that's why, you know, the greatest slave revolt that should have happened never happened. (sighs) Right, right, right. It's it's tragic because it didn't happen. But Mm -hmm. with Atreides, the problem that I see that is everywhere is there isn't a good villain. It's kind of like watching Justice League Steppenwolf. I don't believe Steppenwolf when he talks. No. Right? And you need a good villain to sell your story. Because if your villain doesn't feel like he's a one-to-one capable of beating your hero, it's a bad story.
1: I've quashed countless worlds. Like, I don't believe you.
0: Right. Right. You know, and and then the way that they they end up killing him, which is basically to say, hey, Superman can kill everybody. Right. <laughs> that was that. Like, I hate that. I really do. And that's kind of how Paul Atreides is made to seem throughout this Let me see. The mass market paperback that I have in my hand is 794 pages, and that's before we talk about the four appendices. Also, I side with uh, our friend Rond on this. Any novel that needs appendices is a bad novel.
1: Yeah. Appendices and glossary, uh uh-uh. It's a a bad story.
0: It's – oh, yeah. I forgot about that. There's terminology back here. Like, I'm (laughs) learning stuff about these characters that I should have learned in the novel.
1: Yeah. You know? If it was important, it should have been there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Or just leave it up to chance instead of – Co-signing a goddamn encyclopedia, Frank. <laughs> Co-signing
1: with an asterisk.
0: You know what else bothers me about that encyclopedia? You can't find it. It's out of print. And the people that have it want $800 for it.
1: Oh, so it's out of print and nobody's ever going to reprint it. Right. Uh, and I, I guess unless, you know, part two of this takes off and even then they'll probably just make a new one.
0: Well, I mean, like I have all of Frank Herbert's Dune novels and, <clears throat> and his son has been writing novels, which I hate. Um, I hate that he's writing them. I'm not going to read them because that ain't your property. That ain't your For me, this is like saying that I'm going to take over the Ford company that my daddy built and saying that it's going to be run the the same way. No, it's not because you're not your daddy. (laughs)
1: First off, no. Second off, you know, maybe, but I'm just not interested.
0: Man. Oh my gosh. It's like, I don't know. Uh, we're buying a brand here. Anyway, uh, we got there talking about uh, Trinity, and I wanted to, again, I did the reading, so I'm going to give you this and see if this lines up with Channy or not, because I think of Channy and Trinity as one-to-one, because love interest and fearsome warrior and whatnot, but she is doing a really great job of letting everybody know she is not to be trifled with either, um, particularly such in such a case where... There's a dude that wants to challenge uh, Paul for leader of the Fremen because that's that's how they do it. Like, you got to be the strongest among them to lead them. So dude comes up to him or comes up to her looking to fight him. And she says, no, you'll fight me instead. And he says, well, I'm going to kill you. She's like, "Mm, well, we'll see. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. And so she she kills him. And then she goes and tells Paul, "Hey, do you want to challenge you? I fought him instead. He's dead now." And he's like, "Wait a second! Like that's 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 against law. Like you you supposed I'm supposed to fight that guy?" And she says, "Well, seeing as I'm a woman, and nobody wants to lose to a woman to begin with, I only got to beat a couple of them for them to stop doing it. And if they know that they can't beat me, this sure is hell ain't gonna try you." And but I they
1: keep having to say yes, right? right. Because well, uh, because they're personal. I mean, because they're personal. So you'll find me says said, like, ah, I can't can't let this woman beat me or or talk me down. And then they lose because she's just better.
0: Right. Uh, so here we go. Uh, this is page 619 of my edition. Um, he was not worthy. I not disturb your meditations with the likes of him. She moved closer, looking at him out of the corner of her eyes, dropping her voice so that only he might hear and beloved. When it's learned that a challenger may face me, italicized, and be brought to shameful death by Muadib's woman, there will be fewer challengers.
1: <laughs> Just smooth out those ripples right. before they get bad.
0: And she's right. So, like, what I thought of when I read that part was uh, Matrix Revolutions, uh, where Trinity and Morpheus go up to, you know, uh, the Wachowski's wet dream of a rave club. And, mm-hmm. and she threatens the Merovingi and says, all right, I'm done playing. Either you tell me where he is or I'm going to shoot you in the face. <laughs> and there's all these guns that are pointed at everybody. And the Merovingi like, you won't kill us because you don't want to die. And then it takes uh, Persephone, his wife, to be like, no, nah, she'll do it. She oh, she, no, she'll,
1: she is not playing. Right.
0: She's way past caring right now. <laughs> you better just tell her where, where he is. And I was just- thinking...
1: Just tell her because she she's not here to play.
0: No, she's not. And that was like I was thinking again, fan fiction. What if she doesn't say anything? What if what if Persephone just knows this is going to happen and says, <laughs> "To hell with it," right? I would really I like mean, to see that.
1: That would be, that would be a, another lovely fork to go go down because uh, she uh, love hates her husband. Uh, I was like, you know what? This is fine. <laughs> let let his mouth get him in trouble uh, let, let his mouth get get him a bullet in the head uh, if I get one too you know worth it
0: and, and you know the whole time you're thinking Matrix is just going to start over again anyway <laughs> Like,
1: <laughs> like. Right. Uh, we'll probably get here again or uh, you know if not uh, so be it because you know I was, uh, the Merovingian uh, as you know fun of a uh, power broker as he is is an exile in the Matrix yes so like, there's got to be some sort of misery in there. So like, perception is probably like, nah, it's okay. <laughs> just, just absolutely, just nihilistic. Eh.
0: No, she and she's been doing that, right? Because like, we see that in Reloaded. Like, we first get to see mm-hmm. her. A, she already envies Trinity, and B, yes. she's already very, very unhappy with her husband. And I love the pettiness of this. Oh yeah,
1: like, just it, the petty sabotage <laughs> all over.
0: And I'm like, oh, okay, this is how I know y'all are married and nothing's ever gonna really separate the two of you. This is a very royal wedding. You know, it's a very <laughs> <laughs> it's, like- it's like this is a royal wedding that
1: might be a red wedding. Right. Uh we'll see uh, how it goes. But yeah, she's like, oh, no, I'm I'm not gonna leave <laughs> But everybody might die. <laughs> and then that one fork is like, okay, I'll help him out a little bit. No, she's not blubbing.
0: Nope, nope, nope. She yeah, just just tell her if you want
1: that lead you are gonna get
0: it I'm I'm very curious as to whether or not we agree on who Morpheus is uh, who the one-to-one is in Dune
1: oh man okay hit me Stilgar let me think about that
0: let Me, while you're thinking about it I'm gonna pull up my uh my literal evidence in the novel that again I read because I'm that type
1: yeah let's hear it because uh i am only like 30 percent agreeing with you
0: okay let me see Uh, where is the lord who led us through the land of deserts and pits stilgar asked he is ever with us the fremen chanted stilgar squared his shoulders stepped closer to paul and lowered his voice now remember what i told you do it simply and directly nothing fancy among our people you ride the maker at the age of 12. You are more than six years beyond that age and not born to this life. You don't have to impress anyone with your courage. We know you are brave. All you must do is call the maker and ride him. <laughs> I will remember, Paul says. See that you do. I'll not have you shame my teaching. <laughs> Whatever. So obviously teaching uh, Neo to you know free his mind is that big.
1: Yeah. While also believing, he- yeah, okay, you won me over on it. Uh, while also believing he's the Messiah, yes.
0: While like, also believing hey, he's the Messiah,
1: he he's uh, <laughs> he's space Jesus, but also space Jesus needs to be to- taught how to tie his shoes.
0: Yes. Um, and if you watch Dune Part One, and I assume you did because you're here, <laughs> you you will remember that Liet Kynes was getting ready to absolutely jump, dive with both of those damn hooks and ride that big-ass worm like a dragon across the sand. And Denny, Denny took that from us! Like, I was... Oh,
1: you know exactly yeah, what you was,
0: were doing! You knew I wanted this! You knew oh, it!
1: Oh, that, that one hurt. That, I was like, uh, ooh, ooh, is this gonna be a... No, it's not. Okay. It's it, it's not a DV Ah, uh,
0: damn. <laughs> also, uh, the, the way in which Denny chooses to elevate women... Uh, in this in this adaptation I really love because there's two things that I really point to number one uh, Leah Kynes is a black woman with dreads in the movie yeah in, in the book she's a white guy with a beard and in
1: 1984 is the whitest guy with the whitest beardiest guy in Hollywood Max von Sydow. golly which was delightful but also old white guy with beard <laughs>
0: Um, also, it's going to make the, the Chani reveal that much better because um, then the white guys get to say, hey, uh, look, we played a part. Um, I'm making a melanin joke there for those of y'all that don't see it because Zendaya has light skin and in this fiction, her mother has dark skin. You do the math on that. Show me the, uh, what do what we, uh, the, uh, is it the pennant square? Not the pennant square. Uh, Punnett, Punnett square, right? Yeah, and you'll see what I'm talking about if you just go look at a Punnett Square. But the other thing that I liked also took place in my favorite scene of the entire movie, which is if you could not control your emotions, stick your hand in the box, we would have had to kill you. Why? Because I'm a Duke's son? Because you are Jessica's son. You yeah. Have, you have more than one birthright, boy. I love that. I love that so much.
1: And especially since... Unless something okay, now this can be ruined by part two. But uh, you know, we talked about the fact that she is, you know, I'm gonna say, you know, it's like can't be illegitimate heir, but you know, she is a bastardess heir to the heart, the the Harkonnen throne. Uh that's not really ever talked about, so she's probably not talking about that. <laughs> no, but he doesn't. Uh, she's but- talking about Jessica, the Bene Gesserit, the awesome Bene Gesserit.
0: Right. And I, I wonder how far they're going to take that because it's never really revealed whether or not it matters to the Reverend Mother that Jessica is hearkening, though it's very clear that it matters to the Bene Gesserit that everybody that they breed with or they selectively breed with is a highborn. Um, so much so that the Emperor's daughter is Bene Gesserit trained, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I find that... I find her problematic in the novel because she's doing a lot of telling in quotes to start each one of these chapters, but you don't really hear from her at all in the course of this novel. As a matter of fact, she's just a prop toward the end where Paul is like, I'll marry her so that the emperor can keep his line, and I become the emperor, but that's that's it. And this he- is uh,
1: Sh- Dune's shameless sequel plug? At the end, uh, you know, is she is she the shameless sequel plug? Uh,
0: you know, it's a good question uh, because the way that the novel ends is sort of unsatisfying because you know that Paul is emperor, you know, basically emperor elect. I'm, I'm using that term loosely, mm-hmm. <laughs> but I wonder, and this is part that I really want to talk about with you. Whether or not the uh, cliffhanger to to Dune Part 2 is Aaliyah and what becomes of her. Because this child of the corn... (laughs) I forgot how much I liked her! Yeah. A toddler running around talking like a 40-year-old person. Scaring the hell Uh, out of uh, everybody. A
1: homicidal toddler.
0: A literal two-year-old who is absolutely... Got the wisdom of ages in her, and acts like it.
1: Yeah, literally the wisdom of ages. Uh, you know, all of the all of the reverend mother power.
0: And the uh, reverend mother is knowledge. terrified of her. Like, she sees yeah, her, yeah. and tells the emperor, kill her. K- kill her right now. Kill, kill her. Yep, immediately. <laughs> it's, she's in my head, and he's like, telepathy? No, you don't understand. And then you got this little toddler going, be quiet, young person. Like yeah. she's she's like she's staring her down. Like she's staring her down. Stay like a youngster, you're on timeout. Oh my god! It's it's great! It's awesome! And then you know, of course, uh, the homicidal part. Uh, I want to hear how you remember this, and then I will I'll, I'll fill in some blanks if I need to.
1: Oh, I uh, see. This is where it's unfortunate. The only thing I remember of her, other than the fact that she exists and you know is um, uh, wise and sassy beyond her years. Was the uh, David Lynch uh, showing of it? So she was just running around, knifing people real hard, uh, and then looking super creepy in her uh, Benedict uh nun outfit.
0: Fre- Fremen nun outfit. Fremen, it was, Fremen, you know, like, Fremen, Fremen. nun outfit. Yeah,
1: because like you know, there was, it was it wasn't quite just all billowing, but had the headdress. Uh, by the way, Fremen and just just stabbing people with a Chris knife. <laughs> Uh, That's what I remember. That's unfortunately all I remember of her.
0: Okay, so I'm going to do uh, two readings right quick to just kind of fill this in. Remember, we we're talking about the uh, the Emperor and Aaliyah, who is, I should say, the sister of Paul. So Jessica has a second child, and it's a difficult birth because, well, this, is, yeah. a- this one's actually supposed to be you know, a little bit more powerful than her brother. So... Uh is born, and she's born like a, a not just a full-grown person, but like a full-grown wizard. So,
1: she, yeah, she's same generation of well, what ended up being the uh, I just want to make sure she's she's the same generation as you know Paul, and they were supposed to be one generation off of the in a controlled environment. Um, uh, Messiah, correct? Right. That was the, that was the idea. So she is. Potential.
0: Right, right. Uh, and I need to say the, uh, the the way she got so she's born in a siege. The Harkonnens and the Emperor, surprise attack, a siege, try to kill uh, her and her mother. Mom's not there. Chani's not there. And this kid allows herself to be captured so that she can get into this room with the Emperor and Baron Vladimir Harkonnen and the Reverend Mother. And that is why she's in the room with these three people where I pick up the story. Uh, and the emperor says, be hush child. Uh, and he sank back into his throne, hand to chin, studying the baron. I do not take the emperor's orders, Aaliyah said. This is the toddler. She turned, looked up at the old Reverend Mother. She knows. The emperor glanced up at his truth That's the Reverend Mother. What does she mean? That child is an abomination, the old woman said. (laughs) Her mother deserves a punishment greater than anything in history death. It cannot come too quickly for that child, italicized, or for who, uh, excuse me, or for the one who spawned her. The old woman pointed a finger at Aaliyah. Get out of my mind. And the emperor says TP, uh, telepathy. um, And he snaps at her. It's like, what 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 the hell are you talking about? And the old woman said, you don't understand, Majesty. Not telepathy. She's in my mind. She's like the ones before me, the ones who gave me the memories. She stands in my mind. She cannot be there, but she is. What others, the emperor demanded. What's this nonsense? The old woman straightened, lowered her pointing hand. I said too much, but the fact remains that this child, who is not a child, must be destroyed. Long were we warned against such a one and how to prevent such a birth, but one of our own has betrayed us. You babble, old woman, Aaliyah said. You don't know how it is, yet you rattle on like a purblind fool. Aaliyah closed her eyes, took a deep breath, and held it. She's basically thinking too hard. Um, (laughs) And then, later, they they bring the Baron back into the conversation, and Aaliyah... Feigning terror, because they decide they got to kill her, kind of backs into her her uh, her grandfather uh, Baron Harkonnen, and said, "Let me uh, let the storm have what it can take." She screamed and she backed into the Baron's arms. "I have her Majesty," Baron shouted. "Shall I dispatch her now?" Like so, he's getting ready to to kill her, and he hurled he hurled her to the floor, clutched his left arm, and then she said. I'm sorry, Grandfather. You have met the Atreides Gom Jabbar. She got to her feet, dropped a dart needle from her hand. Yeah. So it's, <laughs> and then later, later she goes around killing Fremen. Like that's, that's something that Paul says, like, cause like Jessica's like, where's my daughter? And he <laughs> says, she's, uh, you know, doing the Lord's work. She'll, she'll come back when she's tired she's right. fine right <laughs> and and it's like doing the work. yeah she's killing all the Harkonnen like what do you expect like, it's, like, it's I'm not gonna stop her right exactly so I'm thinking if I'm Denny and knowing how he has been really good about treating this uh, this novel as if everything is serious that's where I would I would posit in your mind or in the audience's mind this thought that perhaps Aaliyah looks around at all of this and goes nah I can do better I don't actually need any of you. I'm I'm actually Malachi from the Children of the Corn.
1: <laughs> He's like, no, I don't I don't need any of this.
0: And Rah-ha. if you if you read ahead, I think you'll see, uh, she's not a good person. Matter of fact, she was Alita, or Alita, Alia, the Huntress of Arrakis, Alita of the Knife. Like she's got all yeah. these violent names.
1: Yeah, all of these names that you don't get from being a. Uh, a a suave political person (laughs) just a nice you know not a just a treat to be in a room with uh you don't get those you don't get those nicknames from that
0: no and yet you know he's got kids where he's gonna have more kids because oh that's the thing when they break into the siege they don't succeed in killing her they do succeed in killing paul's kid channy's kid and that is what sends Paul Atreides over the deep end. In that, okay, everybody can die. And by everybody can die, I don't mean like he's taking it as like a, a, a reality. Like, no, I can, I can, and will kill everybody I have to.
1: Yeah, uh, was the, I'm going to steal a since we're talking, you know, sometimes about the Matrix. I'm going to steal a line. There are levels of existence we're prepared to accept. Yes. Uh, Paul will absolutely. Harm the vast majority of humanity uh, He won't kill all of it, but he will kill all of the power structure that exists all of it all of that dies So like they say they're you know kill the universe. It's their universe uh, Humanity will technically live because planets exist and people are on them, but it is uh, yeah he, he, That just becomes Was it I have nothing left to lose?
0: Yes, that's it. I have nothing left to lose and I'm I'm interested to see how far they take that because you know children of Dune exist, and as I understand it, Paul goes out because I haven't read that last week, uh, or I didn't read that last week.
1: What? Right? You didn't? You right. didn't have another?
0: I didn't. I didn't. I didn't read the the million words of this saga.
1: <laughs> Weird. You <laughs> know, in, in in last week. Golly.
0: Um. <laughs> but like he goes into the desert because he's having to deal with what he has done which is you know kill 60 tr- trillion people and his two children are going to try to find him because their aunt Alia, is screwing up the universe and they don't know what to do about it <laughs> who's gonna stop her exactly um and i don't actually remember how that ends but i'm also getting way ahead of anybody that's even had the uh courage to take on dune the movie let alone dune the novel uh, we kind of conveniently skipped over it, but I think we're in agreement that the emperor is the architect in the Matrix. So you know, I have I have some thoughts on that. Okay.
1: Um. The the emperor being the architect, like it could like that's a, to me that's not so much an easy one, but like that slots in all right. You know, he's the uh, you know he's the you know he's the the manager of all the things, and not just Arrakis. But because of that point, like it, ha, him being in opposition. Um, to, was well, like the Emperor wanted Arrakis to be run correctly and also, you know, wanted supreme, wanted to maintain supreme power. Uh, but to me, that almost, like, he wasn't adversarial enough, like, as far as, like, fr- uh, like, front-facing adversarial enough. The Architect was running the Matrix, but was just running the Matrix, as far as we know was one of the two people who ran the matrix and then so it there is a there is a possibility that we could slot in whoever uh baby buddha represented at the end of revolutions because that's who paul neo negotiated with for the fate of the universe talking about arrakis uh you know in revolutions it was Agent Smith will go beyond the matrix and just ruin everything outside the matrix because he already ruined the matrix. But he'll break out and you know assimilate uh, everything else and bring the universe crumbling down. Universe being Earth at that point, uh, as and not, and not the architect. I don't. And now I don't know if that person was supposed to represent the architect or not, because the architect said he would not meet Neo again. I guess regardless of the outcome of what which door he chose, so I, I throw I throw a, a contender in there, being uh, the emperor is babyface Buddha.
0: Yeah, I again I, I I I say again, I can't disagree. I would only point to Frank and say uh, this is probably the one instance in which he probably did a good job of. No- oh no no no! I can disagree because I read the novel. Um, So there is this count uh, who is going to basically read – he's checking on the Harkonnens, and he brings his wife because he's a eunuch, but that doesn't actually – doesn't make this any clearer. So he brings his wife. His wife uh, flirts with Fade, and their whole game is to get Fade to sleep with her so that, you know, that bloodline doesn't absolutely go up in smoke. Okay, and that same count is in the room. Wait, the
1: count's bloodline or the baron's bloodline?
0: Uh, the ble- the baron's bloodline. Okay. Um, uh, and she's supposedly supposed to have the baby, but that count's in the room as they're doing the negotiating. And at the end, when Paul has successfully vanquished Fade Rotha, but is in a compromising position, the emperor orders the count to kill him, get rid of this upstart duke. And the count looks at him and is like. Nah, <laughs> that absolutely happens. Um, and again, it's it's maddening because that dude shows up like fade twice.
1: Who is a universal kingmaker?
0: Yeah, literally
1: an emperor maker.
0: Yeah, it's wild. Um, I'm gonna look for his name here in the back because I don't think I highlighted that part part of the book. And, where,
1: and where, while you're doing that, I would say, uh, and in my in my alternative uh, to the architect being the emperor um the architect being a much nicer and personable baron who runs the matrix well yeah would uh, would um would be my other threat mm-hmm. running the matrix and poorly
0: I, well he says look man it's perfect except for you
1: yeah it just and uh can't see beyond you know can't see beyond any decision
0: yeah ever
1: um and which is you know which goes into, um, a, you know, another character that we're going to have to talk about. But that's my that's my alternative take.
0: Well, I want to I want to get for the hierarchy. I want to get to that character here in just yeah. a second. Uh, also, I hope that Denny folds Fade Rotha into Beast Robin because otherwise you're wasting Dave Batista. Because uh,
1: man, it is. Other or, or um, part two needs to be like four hours long so okay. that we can just have. Uh, he's uh, running around for longer.
0: I hope so, because I really want to see him fight Timothy Chalamet. I really do. <laughs> like, it's so, so lopsided. Um, all right, so this count's name is Hazimir Finrig. Finring, excuse me. Finring. Uh, a distaffed cousin of House Carino. Carino House Carino is Emperor Shaddam. Oh, okay. good. He was a childhood companion of Shaddam Uh The frequently discredited pirate history of Carino related to <laughs> the curious story that. Finring was responsible for the Chamarchy which disposed of Elrude the Ninth. Frank, what the hell are you doing? Um, oh my God! Oh, that's in parentheses, so many fake by the way. Names. That's that's all in parentheses. Ugh. Under this under this very brief paragraph long character study of Finring, I hate you, Frank. Um, all ca- wow. all accounts. So Frenring
1: Finring, the shady the friend friendring. Your shady friend, who uh, probably landed you also in jail with him, right? As a kid,
0: uh, all accounts agree that Finring was the closest friend, yes, of Shaddam the Fourth. And the imperial chores carried out by Count Finring included that of imperial agent on Arrakis during the Harkonnen regime, and later Siridar Absentia of Caladan. He joined Shaddam the Fourth in retirement at Salusa secundus
1: so that dude okay real uh, apparently real friends even after that <sighs> oh
0: my god i uh, also the, there's so much that goes on in this like final scene of i mean first paul is saying i'm emperor and arrakis is mine and the guild you're gonna have to find a new way to do this because i'm not gonna let you do it anymore i'd rather blow up the planet than let you do stuff um also emperor Shaddam, i'm not actually gonna kill you i'm just gonna force you into exile on your prison planet where you have created your prison mafia of absolute uh space marines yeah and uh also hey, gurney halleck you're gonna be earl of caladan whatever whatever the hell that means and then it was like jessica's like so what of me and he's like what do you want it's like i'd actually like caladan he's like mm, i don't think about it like, like what and then it was like Damn. right. And then it was like, uh, and you, uh, daughter of Shadam, princess. I'm gonna marry you. And then Shani's like, the fuck? <laughs> That's how and, you are? Right? And 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 he's like, chill out. You're my one and only. I swear it. You know that you 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 and me we're at the hip. We're joined. This this is all business. This is some shoddy duct tape, right? Uh. <laughs> and, and and she's looking around like, I don't. I don't. I don't like it. And then Jessica's like, it's fine. <laughs> right? Yeah. And I'm like, Jessica, how dare you? And, she, and it was one of those, I didn't like you to begin with, that you have to see how I lived, I'm fine with it, it's fine. And I'm,
1: so I'm much- like, so much. Oh, okay, We're, we are spiting the face.
0: Right? And that's all of this. It's all spiting in the face. It's maddening. Like, the Fremen. The Fremen's whole religion is based on a lie. Like, I genuinely believe most religions, if not all religions, are based on a lie told by some other human being to make other human beings feel more comfortable in a universe that they cannot explain their being in. Yet, the Fremen believe it so much so that not only do they kill for it, but they become these fearsome desert warriors because I hate this part. There's this universal belief that a rough place makes you a a harder person. (sighs) Yeah, yeah. And that's that's all throughout the Fremen. But also, like, I think we're 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 hearing saying Zion in the Matrix mm-hmm. is Arrakis, for all intents and purposes. Um, and they even have the cave scene. Like the the cave scene, the, the orgy cave scene in in Matrix Reloaded, they have that cavern cave scene in Dune. It's right there. Yeah. If anybody wants to see it.
1: Which that puts uh, the Matrix and Zion as both uh, aspects of Arrakis, which I like. I like this idea um, because, you know, like the Matrix is the most important thing in the universe. It's the power. Uh, but also, like, you have the free thinkers that, you know, escaped and they are in their, you know, they're in their caves over here and. Uh, but also, like, the Matrix houses, like, the city life or, you know, I guess the the Imperial life on Arrakis versus the Arrakis life.
0: I don't hate that. that. Was just, I don't hate yeah. that. No, I don't hate that at all. Um, no, nah, like, I yeah, I can get with that. I also can get with this idea of um that... People aren't immediately trying to embrace Neo at every level, though they embrace him a little too friendly than to me because basically you're, you're putting all your faith in Morpheus and Morpheus puts all his faith in him, so it transfers. But then you got Locke, who's over there like, hey, uh, Morpheus, I know that you like this dude and I'm, I'm, I'm watching this dude in the Matrix do stuff, but here on Earth, <laughs> 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 we need ships with guns because... He can only do that stuff in there, and we have to defend this place out here. And then you get to that part of Reloaded that everybody hates where you know Neo basically gets to make you know, any place.
1: Uh, oh, man. There was so wow. – yeah, that was uh, yeah. that was a scene. But um, yes, that is true. And you know, man, poor Locke. He just gets dumped on that whole <laughs> – That's
0: like, almost I his purpose, trilogy. right? Is that Both not his purpose? Movies, it's,
1: like, it's, like, it's like, but he's not wrong though. I mean, yeah, he's an asshole, but he's not wrong. Also, it must have been maddening to talk to an uh, old white guy, uh, one of the council. Actually, probably all of the council, but it's just like, yeah, no, a- a absolute faith. Just a complete true believer. Uh, Mr. like Mister Pragmatist must have just been like home life just must have been terrible. Just bringing work home with them all the time, uh, trying, to, trying to talk with zealots, and you did not share the same zealotry. But you was trying to, but you were, you had the same, you all had the same goal. Uh, yeah. My heart goes out to Locke. Never thought I'd say that. I, <laughs> miserable, miserable bastard.
0: Well, and that's you know that. Uh, I also appreciated the addition of a council um, because the the council very much makes decisions on uh, for the Fremen, um, and like there was this part that I'm glad that they avoided because this would have sucked, uh, but they did include it in the matrix in a way. So. Stilgar and Paul were going to have to fight because all the Fremen men wanted to see them fight because they all assumed that Paul should be leading them and the only way to lead them is to beat Stilgar and Stilgar would have to defend himself. And then most people know that Stilgar would lose. So Paul has to stand in front of everybody and be like, I'm not going to fight him because we all agree that I would beat him and he agrees that I would beat him. But he's wise and I like having wise men around. They're not, they're, they're not like just out there. So I'm going to keep him. And we're going to change the tradition because I said so, which is a thing that he starts doing everywhere.
1: We're going to start tra- flexing over there because because you can't stop me. Right.
0: Exactly. But also in the Matrix, it's like, OK, cool. You're the one fight me. Uh, uh, Morpheus fight Neil. Like it's one of those. Right. It's like if anybody's mm-hmm. going to be able to beat this man, it's got to be this man. And, you know, they have a fight. It's fine. Nobody dies. Um, and, it's, and I enjoyed that because I was like, OK, you guys really did read this novel at least six times. <laughs> yeah, it was like, okay, where
1: can we improve You know, on this flow?
0: Yeah! Every step of the way. Like, you go straight from, we're gonna fight about it, to, uh, let's ride the maker slash jump from a tall building to another tall building.
1: Yeah, and, uh, and the messiah needs, was it, I can, I think I can uh, see the idea, it's like, you know what, I think the messiah needs to learn how to tie his shoes for a little bit longer. It's, oh like, God. it's like, yeah, yeah, you know, I think so, too. It's like, oh, you know, get getting this whole fighting thing. It's like just whiffed it on that jump real hard.
0: So one of the things that I remember from the sci fi uh, three one hour movies, I think it was. Um, I think so. But and one of the things that we want to see in this next adaptation that does not actually get a whole hell of a lot of play is riding the sandworms. Like it's a thing that they do and they all do it as a form of transportation. It's like taking the bus.
1: Um, yeah it is it is casual right was it what you just you read earlier uh twelve year olds do this yes like this is catching the public bus <laughs> uh yeah, everybody jumps on because you know you don't want to you know you want a carpool you want a worm pool uh if you're gonna call one you might as well get a bunch of people uh, who also need to go somewhere right but twelve year olds can catch the bus
0: <laughs> and yet when we see these things on screen they are enormously big deals (laughs) yes well everyone was everyone wants to see the
1: worms and like you know the character's like eh you know and i guess i I, want to see a taxi cab all right
0: i guess i i would be remiss because we saw the worm coming at Leah kinds and then at the end of the movie we see somebody actually riding one of the the worms true right like he's and it, it could not be more i'm uh I'm I'm skiing. I'm skateboarding. I'm I'm snowboarding. Whatever. I've got hooks. Right. <laughs> you now these these things are steadying me on top of this thing that is moving. I don't know how fast because they never say how fast.
1: No, just uh, just uh, one worm in speed. One worm per hour. No, wait, uh, that's not good.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I think I I think they're still measuring stuff in kilometers. I think so.
1: Uh, yeah, uh, so... Which uh, you is know what? Wild. And If one's a- if one's a kilometer long, then we can go ahead and say, uh, you know, it can go, uh, seven worms an hour.
0: Oh, yeah, so, or, like... You, oh, no, as
1: far as we know, it could just be just zooming along those dunes and, like, doing jumps and barrel rolls. Well, that was what uh, I was gonna like say! hundred worms per hour.
0: That's what I was gonna say! Like, they're-, they're they can be up to a quarter mile wide. <laughs> just real thick. What Real thick boys and girls. You know, and that's a very American trait we like we like Girth. Like I read this earlier, um, and I think you would appreciate this. Novels have gotten longer because Americans do not trust a novella. They do not trust a <laughs> short novel. So like huh? so like, you know, I write novels that usually like a, I wrote a novella that's about twenty nine thousand words. It's the Western, I love it. Uh, nobody's bought it yet. Maybe one day that changes. I wrote Three novels about a family called the Bone Steel that each are about 60,000, 70,000 words. So uh, which is you know, midsize, if that. But today, George R. R. Martin's last book, the last one he wrote, is 422,000 words. Okay. The entire Lord of the Rings trilogy is 400,000 words.
1: The tome. Let's just go. We need to make sure. The giant tome that is Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. Is shorter
0: than the last book that George It's short,
1: wrote. and boy does Tolkien like his words.
0: Right, right, and that's that's universal, right? And it, a lot of this has to do with how you know uh, the the written word as a story has been published. So, like nineteenth century, it was serialized. Matter of fact, Dune was serialized before yeah, it was that's uh, true. Right, that's before true. it was uh, published. But like today. If I gave you a 160-page novel and told you it cost $17 or I gave you a 320-page novel and told you it cost $17, Americans particularly are going to buy the longer novel because they think that there is more entertainment to be had in that because it's going to span a longer amount of time to read. And I mean, I'm,
1: and they're wrong in every way,
0: but, but – <laughs> But how do I convince them of that? Because they're like the supermarkets were the first to point this out. This is where we get mass market paperbacks. So like if a supermarket was next to or a grocery store was next to a vocational school, they would say give us sci-fi novels because the, they were that, that good at being able to characterize and categorize the kind of people that patronize them. Um, but they also had said one of the things that we notice in groceries is that the bigger something seems to be the better it performs for us like an unblemished apple that might be midsize versus a big apple with a couple of blemishes people are going to buy the bigger apple thinking they're going to get some sort of deal because they can just you know cut out those blemishes with the novel they said make it thicker make it shorter and fatter it's like but it's it's the same novel yeah but they don't they don't they don't They don't either know that or they don't make that choice when they're making that choice.
1: Yeah, or it's like, you know, you can tell them that and you're like, yeah, but I don't care.
0: Right. So, like, I have a special edition hardback Dune um, that's like 600 pages, like total. And I have this paperback. And this paperback is absolute monster to try to read in the way that I try to read stuff. Because I try to read stuff while I am on a piece of cardio equipment, which means I use... Chip clips to hold open the pages and I break a and I break a bunch of spines right because I have to Mm
1: -hmm. Oh, yeah, I mean
0: but hardbacks make that easier to do Short fat paperbacks. I almost think you hate me
1: Listen spines are meant to be broken, but also (laughs) Yeah, I get you Uh, Just really dense uh, like you have to you you have to break the spine to to get the pages open enough you and I talked about this uh, a little bit uh, in the lead-up with uh, your paperback. You said it was 700 pages before the appendix.
0: 794.
1: Yeah, 794. Mine's 492 paperback. Uh, but also, there's no, there's not like an abridged version. Cause I'm not. I don't even know what you would abridge exactly. You'll drop a word and everything will go wrong. Um, <laughs> Because it would just be the wrong word. I'm not saying there aren't words that can be cut out. You could probably cut out a bunch, but you could also cut out words that will mess everything up. Uh, but like 492, and that's got to be font. They enlarge the font from like 8 to 10 to get some of that in there because mine also has the appendices Um after that 492. So, yeah, it's amazing. Like we just need a fatter novel. Like, okay, <laughs> Yeah, and that's but, and then it becomes you know, and then you can only increase the font size so much before uh everybody's like, Okay, there's five words on this page. You've gotta knock it off.
0: Well, okay, so like this is this is interesting in, in two ways for me. Number one is uh, that we are one hundred percent making those choices and publishing and that's a that's not my area. I, I make the content, mm-hmm. they sell the content. Sure. Uh, uh the second one here is Denny Villeneuve demonstrated just how much of this novel you do not need as a matter of fact my favorite instance of this is Beast Robin walking in to where his uh, uncle's getting his uh, ugly ass tub uh, bathing in oil or whatever it is uh, his fat self does and ask and what are the Fremen and your man Baron says kill them all that's a ten-page sequence. It is in the novel. What? Like when I when I when I watched that, and then I went to read it. I was going, okay, yeah, this 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 novel could could use some paring
1: down. It could. Uh, it needs some TLC on it. You can't just do it willy nilly. But you could pare it down.
0: Well, and that's 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 exactly what Denny did. He's a dude that absolutely mm. loves the novel, so he gave it the TLC it needed. Oh
1: well, being somebody who's good enough at making movies to oh
0: like uh, but, but but if you if you yeah. close your eyes and you listen to the dialogue, it is a stage play, yeah, like they like he's one of the three screenwriters on it, but they they all really, really wanted every single word to hit. And it wasn't just one of those, hey, that's we got to get we're glad we got that part from the novel in there. It was he gave some lines to other characters that yes. made it better,
1: yeah. Um, because you can make it better. Like, was it? No work is perfect.
0: Yes, no work is perfect.
1: Uh, and I, I appreciate the artwork. And for a while, uh, back in my youth, <laughs> uh, I was somebody who would read the book and would hate uh, every movie change that ever existed, uh, regardless of how good the change was. And I have not only softened on that; I have actually just come like, I, I, I flipped one eighty. Uh, on it uh, like the written word is not sacrosanct as it generally it's not it's not a it doesn't it doesn't make a good movie uh, there are no, There are, most novels don't make good movies uh, different medium different pitch different timetable different pitch um, find the right pitch <laughs> <laughs> it's like you know gotta get that but um, and sometimes go way off uh, you know, for the sake of a medium, um, I really enjoy *I Robot*, the novel. Uh, it is super dry and basically a series of short stories. Uh, I enjoy the movie *I Robot*. Has nothing to do other than I think like four character names <laughs> with the novel at all. I don't think, I don't think the book would ever make a successful movie. I'd watch that movie, but we've talked about this before i cannot with i cannot pay the 200 million dollar budget for the movie movies that i would like to watch and some movies i would be the only one in the theater ever but uh seeing somebody who can distill like like the gist and that, and that seems like I don't know, dismissive or uh, a little bit too short but like the meaning of a scene or the meaning of like a series of scenes and being able to convey that in a different way to fit a new medium uh, is something that I've grown to appreciate a lot. And so far, I feel he's been doing very well. No, think- and anybody, and anybody that he's, that's on, on the team with him, like, you know, for whatever team ever, it has been doing that like phenomenally. And like you said, 10 pages for the ordering the execution of uh you know the locals on arrakis uh we get um a really like creepy atmospheric scene and a few lines of dialogue uh that t- tell us everything we need to know and-, and conveys the same like oh stuff's about to get real bad for arrakis
0: i think it's well said um as as a person that writes the words um i'm always interested in how people consume an adaptation um usually they do a bad job because they don't care enough about i think the source material uh because they are so in in on their own vision of what the source material needs to be Mm -hmm. Um, but novels are always the best at telling stories any story quite honestly um and most of your favorite movies, for the most part, come from somebody who wrote it down first, right? And I don't mean a screenplay. I mean they wrote it down as a story. Like Arrival, for instance, is the story of time, and it's a very short novella. Um, and I can keep going down this list, but mm-hmm. I, I want to say like last year, there was something like 30 of the top 61 movies uh, – or no, not 61, 41 movies – uh, in America were adaptations of some sort. Okay, I, There's a lot to that because there's things that you have to be able to be – you have to be good at in novels that you don't have to be good at in movies to make them succeed. And one of those things is nailing plot, right, is in nailing narrative and nailing motivation because they're, it's just di- more difficult to do on a page than it is on a screen because the audience is doing a lot of work for you just by watching what you're doing. You know, like Roger Deakins is a cinematographer that Denny Villeneuve uh, uses most of the time. And when I first found Denny, it was uh, Sicario. And, you know, that's one of my favorite movies ever. Mm -hmm. And he's doing Taylor Sheridan is an outstanding screenwriter. And then you match that with an outstanding auteur who really loved the story. And every word hits and all the scenes speak for themselves. Right. They take on the dialogue for you. Like, uh, what was it? watching uh leaving them leaving Caladan to go to Arrakis. Um, half like two minutes into like this three and a half minute sequence of just mood and music and people, no speaking. Laurel looks up at me and says, Is this a music video? <laughs> a- and I said, Absolutely right. Right? Because that's that's also a thing that Danny does, right? It's like, no, no, I can do I can do all that talking that you want to do, all that exposition, I can do all that in three minutes and I can do it Kick ass with this Hans Zimmer score. Watch this. And you're like, no, he did that. He totally did that because he's taking advantage of everything. He's taking advantage of the source material while also taking advantage of what he does well. He leaned into his strengths as a filmmaker, which I don't think people do enough. I think people try to impart their vision on a thing as opposed to, what am I good at? Because me as a writer, I'm good at telling. I'm good at criticism. I'm good at dialogue right? I'm not good at description. I'm not good at painting a picture. It's just not a strength that I have. So why would I try to do more of that in service of the story I'm telling? Nah, nah. If I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it the best way I can while also acknowledging how much I love this thing that I am choosing to try to adapt. But I'm also not the kind of person that tries to adapt anything. I come from the Spike Lee branch of Uh, creativity, which is to say, write your own shit, produce your own shit, and uh, you know, don't tell everybody else's story. Tell your own.
1: Written, directed, starring, and uh, produced by... Yeah, like, that's... Yours truly. Right.
0: I mean, you know, like, I don't like Spike Lee as an actor. I think he's bad, but it's his movie. Like, it (laughs) is... Malcolm X is his movie.
1: He gets to do that if he wants to. Yeah. It's it's all... It's his.
0: Yeah, you know, and in that way, um, I'm sure that there's white guys out there that feel the same way about Kevin Smith. Um, I just I'm not that person. I, I don't like Kevin Smith stuff. But again, I'm not that person. Um, Tyler, what else do we need to cover?
1: Uh, we need to cover. Uh, we need to cover Jessica. Okay. Um, I mean that that's certainly a thing uh, because we talked about because it uh, it ties in directly to you know who we who we feel uh, the Baron is or the Emperor for that matter is and so jessica i believe you know like obviously jessica is you know at first glance is going to be the oracle right yes um because she is the 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 guiding star uh for this particular type of path and she also willed the messiah into existence (laughs) uh so my question is is this so for for fitting this in, is this Jessica the Bene Gesserit? um be, as the as the Oracle is, at least as was told to us, is still a part of the same system, you know, is, like uh, working, you know, somewhat adversarial to to the uh, goal, uh, you know, to the architect, but as a necessity to keep the system running for another cycle, uh, or is it like Jessica the rebel? you know, to embrace more of the rebellious nature of the, uh, of the Oracle against the architect. So, or, or something else entirely, uh, you know, is it, is it way off? Like I said, it's, it's, uh, it's the one that first comes to mind, but I was wondering like which aspect would better fit if we were going to try and fit one aspect, uh, as far as the majority goes, is it, you know, because she is, though she rebelled and you know, she created, um, uh, a homicidal toddler. Uh, she also created the Messiah when she wasn't supposed to. And yet she is also, she took advantage of and like leveraged the system of the Bene Gesserit and was a tool of the Bene Gesserit to bring about this as well. So that's the, that's what I, that's what I, uh, that's what I like to talk about. Like, what do you think it would be like a, a better fit, or like some some balance of both.
0: No, I, I slotted her as the Oracle, straight up and down. Um, if uh, Jessica fact, the
1: Rebel uh, as the Oracle.
0: Um, in both. Or things. Jessica
1: the Bene Gesserit as the, the
0: Oracle. The, the answers both.
1: Okay. Because okay. she uh,
0: she has all these powers and this mysticism about her because of how she's trained, not because of uh who she was born to, right? Her her. Her daddy gave her up, and then she went to school, and she came out as Bene Gesserit. She becomes a rebel the moment that she decides to have a boy, and she follows through on that when they break from the Imperium uh, to join the Fremen. But I also wrote down a couple of instances where I thought that she uh, was the oracle in the novel. So, page 697 on my of my book... Um, a sign, whisper of awe passed through the crowd, and Jessica heard the words, The prophecy of Bene Gesserit shall show the way, and a reverend mother shall see it. And from farther away, she shows us through her son. Um, she is the reverend mother for the Fremen. She's a Bene Gesserit to quite literally everybody else, right? Um, uh-huh. And for, 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 for Paul, she's all three. Like, he's able to separate the three versions of his mother, being his mother, Bene Gesserit, and the Reverend Mother uh, of the Fremen. And then there are other incidents. Um, let me see. Hearing her son, this is 702 to 703, Jessica marveled at the awareness in him, the penetrating insight of his intelligence. Uh, Paul said, My father had an instinct for his friends. He gave his love sparingly, but never without, uh, with, never but with never an error, his weakness lay in understanding, misunderstanding hatred. He thought anyone who hated Harkonnens could not betray him. He glanced at his mother. She knows this. I've given her my father's message that he never distrusted her. Jessica felt herself losing control, bit her lower lip. Seeing the stiff formality in Paul, she realized that she, uh, these words were costing him. She wanted to run to him, cradle his head against her breast as she never had done. But the arm against her throat had its, uh, ceased its trembling. The knife point at her back pressed still and sharp. I, he's, she's very much putting herself uh, in a position of begging this boy to make a choice. Oh, here it is. Got it. Uh, the quote is, Paul, I want you to do something for me. Choose the course of happiness. Your desert woman. Marry her if that's your wish. Defy everyone and everything to do this, but choose your own course. If that ain't the oracle to the letter, I don't know what is. You know, yeah, I'm one over. That'll work.
1: Because her Uh, her whole bit is. Especially after in her, um, well, I guess it was in, it was revolutions, like a lot of the revolutions speech where it's like, you know, I'm willing to do. I'm willing to go all the way as well. Right. But also, like, hey, like, do your own thing. Yeah. Please, do your own thing. Like, whatever. Make your choices.
0: Right. She's saying to him, like, he's asking her what to do, and she's going, whatever you want to do.
1: Yeah, whatever you want to do. And 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 there we go. And the architect being, you know, the idea of the architect being like, you're supposed to do this. But, like, he was never in the – he was never – Uh, except for that one time never able to talk to the architect but the theory of the architect would be always you do this you know you go by rote right uh no choices and she was uh the embodiment of choice so yeah that fair enough yeah that'll work
0: And, and again if i had not been so obsessed with trying to root that part out um i wouldn't have marked those parts in the in the book because uh like pre-spices the matrix uh there's a deep in the cavern in like as a phrase um oh yeah there's a uh, gurney seems paul uh, sees paul is the one like he can because uh you know uh, spoilers gurney halleck doesn't die in the in the siege of the Harkins. <laughs> right? right. All right, right but when he finds paul or paul finds him like it becomes very clear to him that uh his Duke is not just a Duke. He's a real powerful wizard.
1: Yeah, and that's what some of this comes up It's like I know, Paul Paul is literally space wizard.
0: Right. And I'm I was I was I went I thought it was going a little too far to try to slot Gurney Halleck into the Matrix. Um but I'm sure we could do it. It would probably be Link. Um if we had yeah, to Yeah, that could be
1: what? that could be in there um like we don't get to see link i just wait i just want to make sure link the the young guy who's spawning over uh
0: no um
1: no which one's link
0: the operator who comes to replace dozer
1: oh okay that's right you know that could be yeah he because he was he seemed fairly pragmatic and just questioning at some of the times like Hey, you know, Morpheus says this, but like, I'm just, I'm just going to be the operator and like doing my best. And then later it's like, Oh wow.
0: Yeah. It's one of those, it's one of those, um, Hey, Morpheus says you can do some stuff and I don't believe it, but I watch the matrix and I see it with my own eyes.
1: (laughs) It's like, I see it. It's the, it was, he's doing a Superman Superman thing. thing.
0: Right. It's iconic line.
1: It's there. I can't, I can't say he's not right. Don't see anybody else doing Superman stuff.
0: I, I enjoy that part because Link is also a conduit to the viewer, because you know as a viewer you're I mean I like to think um, we're all looking at this with with side eye from time to time, and so is Link. Like it's just, that's great because uh, he's mm-hmm. he's an optimist, but he's also going, yeah sure, I've seen other stuff. Like it's like whatever.
1: Yeah, it's one of those. Uh, I know there was some just some strife involving the the character that he replaced, but it's also like it's not so like I'm glad it happened, but I enjoy the replacement hmm. uh, for for that uh, and did, did very well um, in my opinion for it. But yeah, that's a good that's a good um, a slot in for that. I would I'd be willing to go with that. Uh, <laughs> and then he comes, who's uh Oh no! Why is his brain? Oh, why is why my brain forgotten his name? Fine. Who's Jason Momoa?
0: Uh, Duncan Idaho. Got it.
1: Thank you. Who's Duncan Idaho? Oh God. Um, I, I don't. Th- I don't know if uh, that. I think that would be for a part two. because.
0: Uh, well, that dude's dead.
1: We, we'd probably have to wander into books that you don't want to read, and mm. honestly, neither do
0: I. Well, I, I'm. At some point, I'll probably get to them, but. I've, I've I've since read two other books, like I, <laughs> and I wrote the essay. Like I, I write these essays that I like to think could be published at any time, at any place, because I'm working stuff out. Uh, otherwise, it's just conversations like this that Tyler and uh, Mullins and Ron and Laurel have with me uh, over and over again, all the time. So uh, I'll probably get to it, but for the sake of all the people who love me, I. Probably won't.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think on stuff on cutting room floor would be uh, trying to slot in. There was it feels like there could have been something with uh, the Mentats. Um, not necessarily any of the individual characters, yeah, but like the, the, fear, the opposition to, yeah,
0: not through fear. Of how it was criminally underused, and I want to see the heel turn, um, as much as there is one, but like right. the, the Mentats isn't really investigated at all except to say you're trained to remember everything.
1: Yeah, right. we get it. we and we get mostly a rogue one. Yeah. That gets the most screen time. Right. Also not much screen
0: time. Right. Well, <laughs> um man, you say a rogue one. Uh I think there's ro- there I think there's total of two in the novel. One of them dies rather quickly um, because he's <laughs> he's a he's a sociopathic mentat which is all the way bad.
1: Right, because um, uh, you you can't maintain the 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 cold logic that was the epitome of cold logic.
0: No, but no, it's funny to you. That's what it is. It's funny to you. Like you you see what's going on, you see how it's gonna go, and it just makes you giddy.
1: Oh, that's the that's the rogue. Yeah, that's the that's the illness, or uh, I guess that's the mental illness of the nimetet the that I, they label rogue.
0: I I guess like it.
1: Uh, see, see our previous note about underutilized, oh, man. underexplored. Uh, yeah. So like, but like the, the, uh, the rivalry, it felt like between the Bene Gesserit and the Mintat, but also, and the Space Guild.
0: Yeah, that's something that Lynch created. That's not actually there.
1: Uh, the rivalry? Wait, wait, between, which one? Between, oh, which
0: between the Mintat and the Bene Gesserit.
1: I thought they were two schools, though. Like not, not so much. So the rivalry probably, but like the like you go if was is if, if you're a guy you go here, if you're a girl you go yes, here. Yes,
0: that's true. Like if you're a guy uh, you're a men's. if you're like, a girl you're uh, a bit Yes, yes, that's true.
1: Yes. But like, oh yeah, this novel was written a long time ago. <laughs>
0: 1965 was when it was published, not when yeah, it was published written.
1: Published after serializing, and yeah, it's like it's been some time. Nice, like yeah we're just gonna we're just gonna set that one aside. Yep. Uh, but like so cutting room 4, something involving that or like the like the triumvirate that is the space guild mentat and Bene Gesserit to make the make the universe run. like the three the three powers because it seems like everybody, you know, it's like every uh, every ruler had a Bene Gesserit. Um every ruler also had a mentat, and every ruler was carted yeah, around by that, the space
0: guild. that part bored me honestly. Like, I, I, I don't care so much about the neo-feudal system. It, it, I use it as a way to explain what's going on, but not something I really want to investigate. But also, I'm black, so that's probably got a lot to do with it.
1: Well, and also, uh, I will say, it, it almost had to happen, because if you're going to make a crapsack universe, which, uh, you know, I've been told now uh, that that is my favorite genre, probably true, uh, considering the things I like are based off of Dune, a crapsack universe, um, you know what's worse than uh, like a totalitarian feudal system where uh, where everybody's well uh, based off of like well, property where everybody's property and everybody's value to buy five people in the universe. Well, okay,
0: so like in July nineteen eighty, Frank Herbert wrote a piece for a magazine called Omni, and he called the piece Dune Genesis, where he clearly laid out his vision. And I'm going to read an excerpt of that in its entirety to you so you can hear from the horse's mouth what exactly Dune is meant to represent.
1: This from the guy. From the guy, everybody. From the guy.
0: Dune began with a concept whose mostly unfleshed images took shape across about six years of research and one and a half years of writing. The story was all in my head until it appeared on paper as I typed it out. How did it evolve? I conceived of a long novel, the whole trilogy, as one book about the Masonic convulsions that periodically overtake us. Demagogues, fanatics, con game artists, the innocent and the not so innocent bystanders all were to have a part in the drama. This grows from my theory that superheroes are disastrous for humankind. Even if we find a real hero or whatever or whoever that may be, eventually fallible mortals take over the power structure that always comes into being around such a leader. Personal observation has convinced me that in the power area of politics slash economics and in their logistical consequence war, people tend to give up over every decision making capacity to any leader who can wrap himself in the myth fabric of the society. Hitler did it, Churchill did it, Franklin Roosevelt did it, Stalin did it, Mussolini did it. My favorite examples are John F. Kennedy and George Patton. Both fitted themselves into the flamboyant Camelot pattern, consciously assuming bigger than life appearance. But the most casual observation reveals that neither was bigger than life. Each had our common human ailment, clay feet. This, then, was one of my themes for Dune. Don't give over all of your critical faculties to people in power, no matter how admirable those people may appear to be. Beneath the hero's facade, you will find a human being who makes human mistakes. Enormous problems arise when human mistakes are made on the grand scale available to a superhero. And sometimes you run into another problem. It is demonstrable that power structures tend to attract people who want power for the sake of power and that a significant proportion of such people are imbalanced in a word insane that is a full quote from frank herbert who wrote dune telling you exactly what dune is meant to be tyler how angry are people now
1: oh they for anybody who thinks it's not that and in fact the exact opposite of that uh suck it and die mad about it (laughs) uh and and you all know who you are, uh, but and I was about to I was about to just throw in you know it's like yeah you know fascism bad, uh, but it's beyond that like that quote is beyond that it's easy to say that but also just yeah um, cult of personality and you know putting all of yourself into another person without thinking about it uh, uh, as a, as a large group especially into a person like they're also just a person um, so. Yeah, uh, Paul's not space Jesus. You know, he's also quite possibly, was it? Uh, I'm going to steal it. Space Hitler Pope. <laughs> I can't remember which one of you I stole it from, but I'm still in it. Space Hitler Pope. Uh, Paul's not good. Her- no. Frank Herbert, uh, you know, was it from God's mouth? That trope? Like, this is from the creator of the universe. Paul's not good
0: is one of the reasons i go back to something i i said earlier in the podcast episode which is thanks thanks for being ambiguous about that frank because he was ambiguous <laughs> about the encyclopedia some three four years after he wrote this essay
1: yeah he's <laughs> like oh i'm gonna waffle this but i love it and love it but you know it might or might not be wrong it's and like,
0: the, this is this hmm? is frank as uh the person that he he died he he, li- he lived long enough to see himself become the villain how about that? No? Yeah. Did not die the uh, hero? Because, because <laughs> you know, like, right up until that moment, it's like, actually, no, uh, I condemn all of this. When it was really, actually, I like people telling me that I'm good. I like people telling me that I'm great. This is awesome. <laughs> like, this is great. I was like,
1: but also, this is what this means. You know, four, four years earlier, it's like, this is what this means. And it's like, not sure, because I don't know the history of the problematic parts of the fandom of Dune. Mm. Uh, that's, and I say, the history. I'm well familiar with the problematic parts of dune because uh the things that i like inherited all of them are problematic parts of the fandom of doom the things i like uh rj has told me has introduced me before as the man who knows everything about warhammer 40, 40 <laughs> there's a fascism fan problem in warhammer forty thousand, and it's because uh, i would say 80 percent of it was taken from dune mm. of, the, of the universe crap sack universe was taken from Dune. The other 20% was uh, Judge Dredd, which, you know, can bring along the same problems. But as far as the history goes, like, what may have happened? I I wonder, like, what may have happened or who did he hear or listen to to go, okay, I need to go ahead and say this. Uh, Like, brooking no uh, objections or, like, uh, sorry, uh, being with absolute clarity I need to say, this is bad. Cult of personality is bad. Uh, Space Hitler Pope is bad. Uh, And anybody who promises they won't be Hitler Pope, uh, they're going to be space Jesus, is also bad. (laughs) Like, what happened where he had to go on record as saying, like, no, this is exactly what I meant as an artist?
0: That's a very good question. I don't, I don't. know the answer to that question, but you know, I could. I could posit a guess. Seeing it's 1980 when you <laughs> Yeah. Could, could posit. It, could posit. Probably some really good guesses. Uh, quite honestly, um, but Was I because you
1: have between 19 some, some something between 1955 and 1980.
0: You I, would, know, I would, some, Something in there. I'd, you know, uh, uneventful time period. Quite honestly, not not. Just, <laughs> I don't even know why we remember it. Like, it's just... It's a, <laughs> absolutely nothing happened. No, no, just... Uh, who who could ever know what may have happened? Because uh, that's, that's how a critical race theory works. <laughs> like, oh. nothing happened. What are you talking about? Yeah, what are you talking about? <laughs> no, I, I saw a comic along those lines that I, I really love, which was uh, it had this uh old white guy holding a sign in the air it said uh no blacks and then it had yeah you know, that was like 19, uh nineteen sixty one and then it said present day nineteen- uh twenty twenty one it's like raising a sign don't tell history about my uh, uh my shenanigans my stupidity my prejudices like it's, yeah it makes me feel bad like, <laughs> <laughs>
1: Oh like, my god. oh, I don't want people – I don't want people teaching uh, kids that I that, – was it uh, – your grandma doesn't want people teaching kids that your grandma threw rocks at people for daring to be human. Oops. Yeah. Yeah, just like yeah, – yeah. Oh, my god.
0: Something, something in there happened. Some, maybe. Some, something, something, <laughs> something. You know what? Maybe read read about that before you read Dune. Yeah. Yeah. Let's
1: do that. Just so you don't accidentally say fascism. Yay. Um, yeah. You, you hate to see it, oh, man. OK. It all right.
0: And last point I'd make about this when you say saying accidentally say fascism. Yay. That's a real thing. Um, yeah. Do you remember how it felt like. Us, meaning the, the brunch group, my intentional family, were the only people going, hey, guys, Stormfront bad first Stormfront that that. That term yeah. is loaded. Second, you see these SS bolts on her uniform. No, you, you hear how she's talking in purity and blood and soil. You don't. The these are these are red flashing lights, and they're like ain't it cool? And I'm going no. And then you know, too late. People are like, oh my god, I was rooting on a fascist. <laughs> it's like, yeah, to,
1: which you know, there's a, there's a reason why it's super effective. Yeah uh and that's what frank herbert is against
0: right right right
1: is exactly that and in specifically because it's super effective it, uh yeah uh or you know i've, I've frequently been told and like during discussions uh you know the best government is a benevolent like, the dictatorship also the worst thing after the worst the government is right after a benevolent dictatorship Mm-hmm. <laughs> And you have to, like, even – you already have to do a lot of work on the term benevolent dictatorship. And then, like, what happens right after that? Like, it doesn't stay a benevolent dictatorship. Somebody dies. Yeah. Like, we're not immortal. And so, uh, or And people yeah, change. And people change, people die. And I would, it's like, yeah, it's just all bad.
0: I would even tamp that down just a little bit, right? Uh, and I would tamp it down by saying the person who built a company is not the person who maintains one. OK, the, yeah, oh. the, like it's it's that cut and dry, the, mm-hmm. the, like uh, using myself as an example, the way that I get to a place is not the way that I stay there. You know, it's 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 really that difficult because there aren't a whole lot of people that can do it. That's why you don't see a whole lot of those success stories or when your favorite band is no longer your favorite band. Either A, because they're doing more mainstream stuff, or B, because more people know about them, or C, you just don't hear from them as often as you used to. There's reasons mm-hmm. for that, right? Like, it, it it absolutely matters that you not change up, but you can't do it the way that you had been doing it. Yeah. And that's – that. so, like – Benevolent dictatorship, I think, is just a—it's—it's it's a little too loud and loaded because it's got that dictatorship part at the end.
1: It's true. No, that's a good point. Oh, you know what? And you can tear—you can tear it down to uh, video. Uh, you can like boil it down to like any any institutionalized thing. And by institutionalized thing, I mean let's say World of Warcraft, your favorite—you know—ongoing game. Uh, the creation of the first part of that game is way different from how you maintain that legacy. But not even legacy how do you maintain that thing to continue to exist uh, anybody who plays any video game franchises or ongoing games like especially ongoing games it's like is it the same as when it started is the company the same as when it started like no it's not like it's just that's the answer no not a single one of them
0: right and and um, from there I could actually segue into the philosophy of Costco but I won't um, which Tries to don't tease her. me like
1: that well, uh, yeah. episode two
0: uh, episode two of dune I, I, of doing the podcast I, i'm just right? i well look uh uh <laughs> i certainly have more things to say about this and i'm sure that i'm gonna come up with some stuff to talk with you about that will be like oh, okay because one of the other reasons i want to do this and do this now is we're in the in-between zone of dune and the next matrix which maybe will be the last matrix who knows i thought the last matrix was the last matrix uh, yeah yeah so, surprise so right so perhaps there will be some things that uh, come out of this next matrix, that lead me to read more about Dune, and then we have uh, absolutely Dune uh, the podcast part two.
1: Uh, then that's where we will talk about uh, the philosophy of Costco, Costco. and weirding modules. Uh, we'll talk about those two things and how they interplay. <laughs> oh my god. Oh. So, uh, I, I do want to give you. A, I do want to give you like a, a just a real quick history and why uh, you know some things happen weirdly in Dune in my life is that I would started off with the David Lynch Dune when I was a kid. So of course I didn't understand anything, and then I tried uh, reading Dune. I succeeded in reading Dune at like twelve or thirteen, I think. Uh, which means I also didn't understand hardly any of it. Did you get uh, the accelerated
0: reader points though? <laughs>
1: yeah, it's just like you know adventure. But, but I was like. Hey, where's the where's the sound where's the sound gun thingy? Because you know David Lynch Dune was on television, syndicated, at times, and so she's like, "That was my first Dune was the David Lynch one," uh, at a young and impressionable age, and like it was a a strange journey that was drastically different. But I had to bring up weirding modules because they don't exist; they're not a thing. <laughs> anyway, so there we go. Sorry. Interesting.
0: No, I do, I do want to hear more about this, um, and, I, and I'm going to tease uh, the listener by saying, yeah, I want to hear more about this, too. Um, so we'll probably, we not probably, we will get to it. Um, that is one of my best friends in the world, uh, Tyler Burroughs, who is also the know-everything-knows-all of Warhammer 40K. Um, congratulations to him for vanquishing all of his enemies. He is the one remaining Highlander. Um, I, Thank you. I do this podcast. Um, yeah, it's it for us. This Okay, once again, if you like the podcast, please subscribe to the podcast, wherever it is you get your podcast. I I say that. I only think this thing is on like Apple or Spotify or SoundCloud or whatever. I don't think it's everywhere because (laughs) I'm the guy that actually has to upload it. I don't upload it everywhere because why would I? It's not as if I want you to listen to this.